0: Church family, I invite you to open up in God's Word to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go through chapter 49, verse 28. 48, verse 1 through 49, 28 is going to be our passage for today. The title of our message is The Blessing of Salvation. The Blessing of Salvation. I'll give you just a moment to find that, and I'll ask you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. Genesis 48, verse 1, beginning there, this is the word of God. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and set up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them. Let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it to Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their wilfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his fold to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes, His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord." Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Nathalie is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile. By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Heavenly Father, give us humble hearts to receive your word. Father, may we tremble at your word, knowing that it is the word of the living God, our creator. Father, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Hearts to receive your word today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. The blessing of salvation. We kind of tend to throw around the word bless like baseballs at spring training. You know what I mean? I mean, they're just everywhere. And that's kind of how we tend to throw around the word bless. We say bless you when someone does what? sneezes, right? I mean, sneezes. We say, bless you. We say, be blessed as a more spiritual way of simply saying, hope you have a great day, right? We say the blessing before we eat. Hey, somebody say the blessing. I'm hungry. We say, bless your heart. when what we really mean is you are so dumb. And that was a really dumb thing to do. We just said, we just say, well, bless your heart, right? just bless your heart perhaps we sometimes use the word bless without actually thinking about it maybe A lot of times we use the word blessed without actually thinking about it, but God never tosses that word around haphazardly. God uses the word blessed with intentionality and with purpose. Perhaps you noticed today that the title of our message just didn't come out of nowhere. The blessing of salvation. About 15 times in this passage, in these two chapters, we see some form of the word blessed. Sometimes God is doing the blessing directly. Sometimes God is doing the blessing through Jacob is Jacob pronouncing the blessing. But we know that God is behind it all. But what we see is that blessing is a very important part of God's plan for his people. Or another way we could say it is that blessing is a very important part of God's promise for his people, we are in these final chapters of the book of Genesis, and when we began these final chapters a couple of weeks ago, I share with you that perhaps one of the most important words um, as we have walked through the book of Genesis is the word promise. Um, not just because we have seen that word, but because. Genesis is filled with promises. The book of Genesis, the whole Bible for that matter, is the story of God working to fulfill the promise that he made in Genesis chapter 3 where he promised to send a man born of woman who would destroy the serpent, that deceiver of mankind, the enemy, the foe of God. It is, it was, it still is a promise of salvation. And my hope is that as we close out this Book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible, is that we're going to see um, just several big truths regarding the promise of God, and and, and specifically this promise of salvation. We began these final chapters of Genesis a couple of weeks ago, and we studied um, chapters 46 and 47. And the big truth we learned there regarding the promises of God was this, that God's promise of salvation calls for the faith of his people. Hopefully you kind of remember that from chapter 46 and 47, that the pro- God's promise of salvation calls for the faith of his people. That was the big picture truth there today as we study chapter 48 verse 1 through chapter 49 verse 28 and the big picture truth that I want us to see is this God's promise of salvation church comes as an undeserved blessing God's promise of salvation comes as an undeserved blessing Let's remember the context for just a moment. Um, Jacob, remember, is the son of Isaac and grandson of Abraham. God had made a covenant. That's a promise with Abraham to bless the world through him and his offspring. Right, he even used specifically that word bless in that covenant in chapter 12. Now, Joseph, Abraham's great grandson, is one of 12 sons of Jacob. Remember, Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt. Through all of that, we studied all of that in detail. God had a plan to provide rescue for um, the, the, the family of Jacob, his sons, Joseph, um, and then also really for the nation of Egypt and the surrounding nations. God had a plan of rescue through all of that. And ultimately, God's plan is preserving the promised line that's leading to the promised one, promised in Genesis chapter three, that promised deliverer. Now, at this point, Jacob has moved Um, has moved his family from Canaan, that's the land of promise, to Egypt. Specifically, you remember, to the land of Goshen. So that's where they're at. Um, In chapter 47, verse 28, we learn that Jacob lived in the land of Goshen 17 years. So the final 17 years of his life, Jacob, the father of all of these sons, is living there in Goshen. And now he is on his deathbed. And on his deathbed, he does a few things. One, he adopts Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were born to Joseph in Egypt, as his own. Jacob basically is adopting his two grandsons, these two sons of Joseph, as his own children. And he blesses them. Um, The second thing he does on his deathbed is he blesses all of his sons. And the third thing he does is he gives instructions regarding his death and his burial. Today, we're going to look at his adoption of Joseph's sons and the blessings that he gives to all of his sons. Next week, we're going to zoom in on one particular part of those blessings that we just read. And then the following week, Lord willing, we are going to look at Jacob's instructions regarding his death and and his actual burial. As I said earlier, as Genesis comes to a close, we not only see the theme of God's promises on display, but we also see this theme of blessing on this on display. And really, this should not surprise us to see this theme of blessing really get um get, get shouted out in these final chapters of Genesis, because it's really been a theme all the all the way um through the book of Genesis. If we went all the way back to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one, right after God creates the first humans, that first man and woman who we know as Adam and Eve the, the first thing the text says after they're created is this and God blessed them and God blessed them. This word blesses in Genesis chapter one and we see it resurface throughout Genesis. And then we see it 15 times in um, in these two chapters, which are right here at the end of this book. You see, when we go back to Genesis chapter one and we see those words and God bless them. We, we realize, though, that in Genesis chapter three, we see that God cursed them. God blessed them, said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. But then a couple of chapters later, God cursed them. But here's the thing. God's promise of a deliverer then meant that he still had plans to bless them, even though they were now living under the curse brought in by their sin God still had plans to bless his image bear. God had not changed his plans at all. It's just that now note this. God would have to save them. God would have to save us in order to keep his word of blessing them in order to keep his word of blessing us. I want to share with you four truths regarding the blessing of salvation today that I pray will lead us one to grow in our understanding of the blessing of salvation. We want to keep growing, church, in our understanding of the the good news of the gospel and the blessing of salvation Two, my prayer um, today is that that we would grow in our humility before God as we consider the undeserved nature of this blessing. It is something that we absolutely do not deserve, this blessing of salvation. And then third, my prayer is that we would celebrate the king through whom these blessings of salvation come. Truth number one is this church. Salvation blessings are grounded in God's covenantal word. Salvation blessings are grounded in God's covenantal word. Now, again, when we say the word covenant, when you see the word covenant in Scripture, think promise. Think promise of God to his people. This word of covenant, this word of promise, God's word of covenant is his word of promise. It's him making a promise. And it is the blessing of God's covenantal word which serves as the foundation for all of the other blessings, all of the other promises we find in this passage and all throughout Scripture including the promise of salvation. So Joseph hears that his father is ill. He gets his two uh, sons. He takes them to visit Jacob. Joseph's probably still living there in downtown Egypt, right? He's second in command. But remember, his family's living a little bit away from there in the land of Goshen. So Joseph hears his father's ill. He gets his sons, says, let's go visit your grandfather. Um, he's on his deathbed. Jacob is old. He's sickly. The text tells us he has to summon his strength just to sit up in bed in order to bless Joseph. Of sons. But just like when you are building a house, right, you don't start with the floor or the walls, you start with the foundation. Jacob doesn't start with his blessing toward his offspring, instead, he starts by recounting God's blessing to him. And that blessing is God's covenantal word. Verse number three, look there at uh, verse number three of chapter uh, 48. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. What is Jacob talking about? Well, Jacob is perhaps recalling that event from chapter 28 where they're at Luz, which we know as Bethel. Jacob named it Bethel, the house of God. There he had a dream. You remember that dream, right? In the dream, there's a ladder that reached from heaven to earth. And the text tells us that God appeared. The Lord appeared to Jacob. And there he blessed him with these covenant promises. Or perhaps uh, um, Jacob is recalling the event from chapter 35 where over 20 years after that dream at Bethel, Jacob is now returning to the land after the, that stint with his uh, who became his father-in-law Laban. He's coming back to the land and he stops at Bethel according to God's instructions. And the text tells us in chapter 35, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. We go back to those texts. We say, oh, how did God bless him? Well, he made covenant promises to him. And it's these covenant promises, which now many years later, Jacob is repeating. He's repeating them. What's that mean? It means that those covenant promises have served as the bedrock for Jacob all of these years. And now he begins what are the final words of his life, which are arguably the most important words of his life. He begins by repeating God's blessing God's covenantal word to him. What is this word? What is this covenant? Look at verse four. God said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Church, we have seen this covenant. First made with Abraham in chapter 12, we've seen it repeated over and over and over again throughout the pages of Genesis. And for good reason, it is the word of God. It is his word of promise. It is ultimately a word of salvation for God's people. And it is a word, please note this, that has not Change through the years of Abraham's life and Isaac's life and Jacob's life. We've seen, just think back over our journey through Genesis, think about the ups and downs, some of the mountains and then some of the deep, deep valleys in the lives of these individuals. It's been some, sometimes it's just been all over the place from week to week, from chapter to chapter. But the one thing that has not changed along the way is the covenantal word of God. God has said it and he will do it. Church, the blessing of salvation is grounded upon God's covenantal word. The same is that was true in Jacob's life is true in our lives as well. Listen, as followers of Jesus, like Jacob, it is God's word that we, to, to use the phrase, hang our hat on. Right. It's God's word to us that gives us confidence in our salvation. God has promised salvation to everyone who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Jesus as the savior and Lord of their lives. God has promised to everyone who has faith in Christ that he will save them. And God will deliver on that promise. Church, our confidence in the blessing of salvation rests not upon ourselves, but upon the unchanging word of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jacob believed this about God's word. This truth serves as the basis for the blessings that He gave His sons. It serves as the foundation for His hope for the future of His family and of the promises of God being fulfilled. And it, that is God's trustworthy word, serves the grounding, church, for our confidence in our salvation as well. Praise the Lord, church, for God's covenantal word. Praise the Lord for His blessing of salvation. Truth number two is this. Salvation blessings are governed by God's sovereign control. They're grounded in God's covenantal word and they are governed by God's sovereign control. One of the great truths about our God that we see all throughout Scripture, but that is really on display just in some incredible ways um, in the book of Genesis is this truth. And we've we've seen it before. Uh we'll probably talk about it again even before we finish the book of Genesis. But it's the truth of God's sovereignty. And and hopefully you're learning what that word means is just put very simply, it's his supreme control over all And thankfully, that includes the blessing of salvation. Salvation blessings are governed. They're ruled by God's sovereign control. Now, we saw this truth. If you'll think back for just a moment, uh, we saw this truth really clearly at Jacob, who's now on his deathbed. At his at his birth, really, even before his birth, do you remember kind of take your mind back there when Rebecca was pregnant with with Jacob and Jacob's twin brother Esau? Remember, Jacob was born second. They were twins. But I mean, one has to be born first. Right. And so Esau was born first. He was technically the firstborn. Um, Jacob was technically the second born. But before they were even born, while they were still in the womb, do you remember God chose Jacob to carry on. On the promised salvation blessing rather than Esau. God was in sovereign control over his salvation promises and blessings. Now, 147 years later, right? Jacob's 147 at this point. On his deathbed, the actions of Jacob remind us of this truth that we must humbly trust God's sovereign hand when it comes to our salvation rather than human intuition. We must trust God's will, not our own. We must realize that salvation, it falls under God's sovereign control, not ours. Joseph's two sons born to him in Egypt prior to Jacob's arrival were these these two sons named Manasseh and Ephraim Manasseh and Ephraim Manasseh was the firstborn and we learned about them. We learned about their names back at the end of chapter forty one. Now, Jacob is going to adopt them as his sons as regards the family inheritance. Just as a quick side note, maybe why would he do that? We're not told exactly, um, but because right after he in the middle of this adoption process, he um, he talks about the death of Rachel, who are these grandchildren's um, grandmother. Right. Joseph was born by Rachel. Remember, Rachel died on his way back into the land of promise. And that was Jacob's favorite wife, Joseph, the favorite son. And um, and. And it could be that he's looking at these two sons and saying, look, even though Rachel died in his mind prematurely and only had two sons with her, I'm going to count these other two as a part of God's blessing me with children through my favorite wife, Rachel. So that could be why he's then he's adopting these two sons as his own as regards the family blessing and the inheritance. So what that means is they're going to receive an inheritance along with their uncles. That is Joseph's brothers. As Jacob says, look at verse five of chapter forty eight, Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon. That was his first and second born biological children. Ephraim and Manasseh, my grandchildren, are going to be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And then at the end of verse six, they shall be called by the name of their brother's inheritance. So so this this has important implications when we get. You are reading through the Bible and you get to the book of Joshua after um, over 400 years of um, later, after this scene right here, um, the, the nation then of Israel, they've exploded into a nation and they're coming into the promised land and they're conquering the, the, the enemies that are there and they begin to divide up the land. if you read that in the book of Joshua, you see that Ephraim and Manasseh are given portions of the inheritance right alongside Reuben and Simeon and um, Issachar. And Zebulun, and, and so they receive the inheritance. Their tribes do, not them, 400 years later. So those who descended from them, their families, receive the inheritance right along. So just knowing that kind of helps us understand uh, just the storyline uh, of Scripture. But, but notice what happens here in Genesis at Jacob's bedside. Joseph puts Manasseh, the firstborn, at Jacob's right hand so that he can receive the birthright. You would, put, you, would, you, would, you would bless the firstborn through your right hand, and that would be laid on the firstborn, and that firstborn would receive the birthright, and then he's going to put his left hand over on the secondborn, right? But verse 14 tells us that when Jacob reached out his hand, so Joseph brings them so that Manasseh is here, and, and Ephraim is here. Jacob can't see really well, right? He, his eyes are dim, um, and uh, he, he doesn't have his reading glasses on. And, um, and so he can't see that comes up. And then Jacob does this, right? So Joseph had it planned out, planned out, just how he thought it should be. Right hand, left hand, firstborn, not firstborn. And he brings them up, and Jacob goes and blesses them, all right? He crosses his hands. Joseph didn't like that. Why? Because he didn't like Ephraim. He liked Manasseh more. No, no, because it just wasn't right. According to human standards, it wasn't right. According to the way Joseph would have done it. It's just not the way this is not the way we do it. Right. The right hand goes on the firstborn and, and the left hand goes on the secondborn. But Jacob assures him in verse 19 that while Manasseh will be blessed, Ephraim will be greater, even though he is the second born. And remembering that God is the one ultimately behind these blessings. It's God who is doing this church. It's just a reminder through kind of a weird, interesting, like, why do we need to know that he crossed his hands? Right. What, what, What do we what do we learn from that? It's just a reminder that God is in control, that God is sovereign over the blessings he gives And that includes his salvation blessings. And we ought to be thankful for this truth. John chapter one, verse 12. We read it earlier, but to all who did receive him talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Catch this. Nor he's talking about our salvation, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. It's not the way we would do things. Right. It's not the way we would have done it, but this is the way God did it. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, God does things his way, which is not always the way we might think. Why? So that he gets all the glory. Church, the blessing of salvation should humble us as we grow in our understanding that salvation blessings are under God's sovereign control, not our own. And praise God for that. Praise God for this truth. Because listen, if salvation blessings were governed by you or by me or anyone else in this world, I just put it real simply, we would mess it up completely. There wouldn't be much blessing or saving if it were left in our hands. Praise the Lord, church, for his sovereign control. Praise the Lord, church, for his blessings of salvation. Truth number three we see in this passage is this. Salvation blessings are dependent upon God's powerful grace. Salvation blessings are dependent upon God's powerful grace they're grounded in his covenantal word they're governed by his sovereign control and they are dependent upon god's powerful grace one of the things that just gets highlighted in these chapters is who god is Last week you heard a message just about helping us get into the Bible, right? And to study God's Word. One of the one of the things that we ought to do in any passage of Scripture we read, um, if we don't ask any other questions, we ought to ask this: What does this passage teach me about God? Because the whole Bible is about God. Every single passage of God's Word, you're going to learn something about God. I can guarantee you. Well, we asked that question with this particular passage. Wow. We 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 just got a bunch dumped out in our laps and it's beautiful truths about who our God is. On several occasions throughout the course of these blessings, Jacob describes God and through these descriptions of God, he is giving God the credit for these blessings. And the way that he talks about God it's evident that Jacob is crediting God with being responsible for these salvation blessings. We can start with Jacob's first words to Joseph in chapter 48, verse 3. He calls him God Almighty. He believes that God is all powerful and he repeats that name of God again. in the end of this passage in chapter 49, verse 25, God Almighty. El Shaddai is the Hebrew God, the Almighty One. Then we can go to the covenant in chapter 48, verse 4 that we read a few minutes ago. Just notice there who is doing all the work in that covenant. God is. Jacob credits God with doing the work of making him fruitful and multiplying. Jacob credits God with doing the work of making him a company of peoples. He credits God with giving him and his offspring the land as an everlasting possession. And then skip ahead to chapter 48, verse 11. Israel, who is also Jacob. Remember, don't be confused about that. That's the same person. Israel, Jacob said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. There's an air of humility there. God has let me see your offspring. He gives God the credit for the blessing of seeing Joseph and Joseph's children. God has let me. He's allowed me to see you and your children. Then notice his incredible description of God in chapter 48, verse 15 and 16. Circle some of these words, highlight them, put a star beside them. They're beautiful. 48, verse 15 and 16, he says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. So on those groundings, then, that he says, bless these sons. And he, and he, and he give, passes on the covenantal blessings to them. How is it that Jacob has made it to this point in his life where he has the blessing of blessing his grandchildren? Remember who this Jacob, this Israel is. It's Jacob the Trickster. Remember his name means deceiver. That's what he was named. The one who grabs by the heel, who deceives. He's Jacob the Trickster. This is Jacob who had to flee for his life from his brother Esau who wanted to kill him. This is Jacob who was uh, who was greatly mistreated by his father-in-law Laban and ended up fleeing from him. It's Jacob who was shaking in his boots at the thought of going back home where his brother, who had wanted to kill him 20 years earlier, was waiting on him. This is Jacob who wrestled with God Almighty. This is Jacob whose sons Simeon and Levi sought revenge against a man By destroying the whole city that that man lived in through deception and slaughter. Jacob, remember, he figured that the people of the land was going to retaliate by killing, wiping out him and his family. This is Jacob who lived in the middle of a family mess with parents who showed favoritism. With wives who hated one another. And with deceitful sons who plotted the death of one of their brothers and then lied about it after they sold him into slavery. This is a man. With many faults and who had experienced a life of incredible hardship. But this was also a man who served the God, who was not only all powerful, God almighty, but who was also a shepherd and a redeemer. A shepherd and a redeemer. God lovingly guided Jacob through the dangers of life as a shepherd guides his sheep and he redeemed or rescued Jacob out of all of those scenes of destruction and evil. And again, it was God who did it, not Jacob. We see some of this repeated again. If we fast forward towards the end of this passage in his blessing of Joseph, go to chapter 49, verses 24 and 25. Chapter 49, 24 and 25, there he refers to God as the mighty one, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the one who will help you. And again, the almighty. Do you see a theme here as we ask this question? Who is God? Who does Jacob believe God is? You see this theme here. If not for God using his might and power to guide and rescue and help his people. There would be no salvation blessings for his people to enter into. Jacob is a sinner. Joseph is a sinner. All the rest of the brothers in this passage are sinners. The book of Genesis has been a book full of sinners and their sin. And yet, it is a book describing the work of God in fulfilling His promise to bless His image bearers despite our rebellion against Him. Church, we call that grace. We call that grace. And because it is grace shown by God Almighty, I think it's right to call it powerful grace. The message of the Bible is that you and I are sinners in need of God's saving grace. And that God is powerful enough and gracious enough to provide us with the salvation that we desperately need. To overcome every obstacle that the enemy and our sin throws in his way. To give us this blessing of salvation. Jacob didn't earn God's blessings. None of his sons earned any of God's blessings. You and I don't earn any of God's blessings. They are all undeserved. They are all gifts of His grace. And at the pinnacle of them all as a gift of His grace is salvation. It is an undeserved blessing. Here's what that means. If you want to receive God's blessing of salvation, then you have to come to God with no thought that you are worthy of it. You must come. Think about it this way. You must come as a homeless beggar asking for a mansion. How how does that happen? What is the attitude when a homeless beggar comes asking for a mansion? It means you come in complete dependence upon the powerful grace of the giver of that gift. Holding nothing in your hands. Depending entirely. upon the love and the mercy and the grace of the one who has that gift that you desperately need. The giver is God Almighty. The gift is his blessing of salvation. He has the power to save and he has the grace to reach down to guide sinful hearts with his shepherding hand into his rescuing hand. Praise the Lord, church, for his powerful grace. Praise the Lord for his blessing of salvation. But the question remains, how will God make good on this promised blessing of salvation? How will he fulfill his covenantal word and exercise his sovereign control in order to display his powerful grace in a way that results in sinners being rescued, being saved from their sin? A clue to that to the answer is found in genesis chapter forty nine and it leads us to our final truth today and it 's this church: salvation blessings are accomplished through god 's promised king salvation blessings are accomplished through god 's promise king. In chapter 49, Jacob gathers all his sons to his bedside and he gives them their blessing. Now, on one level, not all of them receive what we would call blessings. In fact, some of them are actually cursed, or at least some of them are maybe not cursed, but are not given a very happy view of their future. However, on another level, because of the blessing given to Judah and god's faithfulness to his covenant they are all and they all end up being beneficiaries of god's blessing now we're not going to wade into the detail of every son's blessing um, here. Um, they're, they're interesting. In fact, they help us know some things that are kind of kind of come. We see some of these these um, these blessings and kind of prophecies fulfilled as the nation of Israel comes into the promised land. Um, in fact, some of these verses and you may have even notice as I was reading and you were following along in your copy of God's word, maybe there were some very different translations. Some of these verses are really hard to translate out of the Hebrew. And um, biblical scholars even kind of go, hey, some of these some of these blessings are they're just a little hard to understand exactly what uh, Jacob was saying um, in these verses. But let me uh, let me highlight just a few things from these verses. First, notice this Reuben, who is the firstborn, is rejected as the firstborn because of his immoral behavior with Jacob's concubine, and we read about that back in chapter 35, verse 22. So if you want to jot that down, you can go remind yourself of that, Genesis 35, verse 22. If we skip ahead to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we learn that Joseph took Reuben's place in receiving the birthright. So Reuben, the firstborn, he gets demoted from receiving the first spot right, from the place of, first, of being firstborn because of um, something bad that he did, and we, we read about that back in chapter 35, verse 22. So we see that right there. He's called unstable as water. Then you, you skip down to verse 5 and following. You get Simeon and Levi. They're put together and they actually are cursed. Why? Well, the reason seems to be their revenge, if you'll remember back in chapter 34 against the Shechemites, when one of the Shechemites defiled their sister, Dinah, and they took revenge by slaughtering all the men in the city. And so, um, so uh, uh, because of that, Jacob actually pronounces a curse upon them. Third thing I want to highlight is this. We can tell by the length of the blessings that are given to Judah and Joseph, that Judah and Joseph, as we've seen throughout these these chapters in Genesis, kind of rise to the top. They, They receive the majority of the blessings. Joseph is really counted as the firstborn. But then there's Judah. The fourth thing I want you to notice is that Judah's blessing reveals that even though Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, and is given the birthright in place of Simeon. The biggest blessing in terms of long-term impact comes from, and we, we won't, should be surprised by this because we've seen this building, Judah. The biggest blessing in terms of long-term impact when it comes to the promises of God are given to Judah. Verse 8 says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Why? Why? Because a future king is coming from the lineage of Judah. Notice those words there, scepter and ruler's staff in verse 10. Just circle those words, highlight them, underline them. Scepter and ruler's staff. God is promising to give the blessing of a king. But this isn't just any king. As we examine the details, we see that this is the king of all kings. Who is this coming king? Well, the tribe of Judah will eventually become the tribe producing the primary kings of the nation of Israel. Think King David, King Solomon. They're going to come from the line of Judah and many other kings after them. But eventually, the tribe of Judah will produce a man whose name is Jesus. Church, in chapter 49, verses 8 through 12, we are given an incredible picture of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is this King of all kings that is spoken of here in this blessing given by Jacob to his son Judah. And these verses provide us an incredible picture of this King, such an incredible picture, that I want to save the details of these five verses until next week, Lord willing. Next week, I plan for us to dive into the details of verses 8, 9 10 11 and 12 of Genesis chapter 49 as we see and learn about this king of all kings the Lord Jesus Christ but now just just notice how these five verses fit into the bigger picture of the salvation blessings of chapter 48 and 49 notice skip ahead to chapter 49 verse 18 and you can put a line or box around this chapter 49 verse 18 right in the middle of these of these blessings to his sons Jacob on his deathbed says I wait for your salvation, O Lord. He's talking about his sons, talking about his sons, and all of a sudden he just declares out, uh, declares out to God, "I wait for your salvation, O Lord." Jacob knows his only hope is that God would provide him his offspring with salvation. And friends, the connection here is that the promised King of verses eight through twelve is the one through whom the long-awaited salvation will come. Jesus is the King, and the King will be the Savior. He would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He would live a perfect life and he would die on a cross. He would die in our place, bearing God's wrath for our sins so that all who believe in this king would be forgiven and receive everlasting salvation. Everlasting forgiveness. Everlasting adoption into God's family. And then this Jesus, this king, rose from the dead, defeating death and securing eternal life for all who believe in Him. Jesus is the salvation Jacob longed for. Jesus is the salvation church that everyone desperately needs. Salvation is accomplished only through this promised king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the here's the big picture uh, uh, view of this. You don't accomplish your salvation. I don't accomplish my salvation. Jacob wasn't going to be the one who accomplished his salvation. And his immediate sons weren't going to accomplish that salvation. He said, I wait for the salvation of my Lord as he prophesied about a coming king. Church, God's promise of salvation comes as an undeserved blessing. Salvation is not grounded in anything we do, but in God's covenantal word. It is, not, it is not governed by our own will, but it is governed by God's sovereign control. Salvation is not dependent upon any good work that you do or that I do, but upon God's powerful grace. And salvation is not accomplished through our own effort, but through God's promised King, who is Jesus The Lord, the Christ, salvation is nothing less than an undeserved blessing, which means it is a gift to be received by faith. So let me ask you this question. Have you received it? Are you a recipient of God's promised blessing of salvation? Have you trusted in this promised king? Is your faith in Jesus today? And if not, will you believe in him right now? Trust in Jesus and receive the blessing of salvation today. And if you have received salvation through Jesus, then then church, if your faith is in Christ Jesus, are you giving God all the credit for your salvation? Is your life an overflow of thanksgiving and praise to God for giving you an undeserved blessing of salvation? And are we sharing this good news of a salvation through a promised king who has died for our sins and risen from the grave? Are we sharing this good news with those around us, church? Jesus has come. He is God's blessing of salvation. All glory to Christ and to Christ alone. Let us pray. Father, thank You for the blessing of an undeserved salvation. Father, it is the only salvation that could save an undeserved salvation. God, because there is no salvation that could actually save us that we could ever deserve, that we could ever earn. So God, here, even in these chapters of Genesis. Father, that perhaps seem far removed from us in time and culture and language. God, what we see is your eternal plan being carried out. To bring about the salvation that Jacob longed for. Jacob knew it was coming, and we know it came through Jesus. So, Father, if there's anyone here who has not believed in Jesus, Lord, I pray that right now they would ask you to save them through Jesus. His death and resurrection in their place. Father, would you humble the hearts of all of us who have trusted in Christ. God, may our lives be an overflow of thanksgiving. And praise to you. To our King Jesus who has accomplished such a great salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.